Hiya, and welcome to another episode of The Jewel Kiss with me, John Darcy. You could be listening on Lisburn's 98 FM, or you could be listening on FM 105 in Downpatrick, or alternatively, maybe you're listening on Bangor FM in the North Down area. Of course, if you're a millennial and you're into your online things, your web, we've been talking a lot about the web today, you could be on the archive or on the podcast, because The Jewel Kiss is on iTunes and Stitchers, wherever you get your podcasts. And as usual, we're coming out on a Tuesday. Day and we have a very special guest tonight. We always talk to someone who is involved in local arts here in Northern Ireland and tonight we have someone who has been putting together a lot of interesting events over the past number of years. You may recognize her from a former episode of The Jail Case, an old episode of The Jail Case. It's Claire Hall. Claire, how you doing? Well, hello. I'm glad to be back for my second podcast. Thank you. We're, we're very cozy here. We're actually in your living room, Claire. You're very welcome. Thanks for <laughs> inviting me in. Claire, you're not the only guest on today's podcast. We, we, <laughs> we have a special visitor from NYC and the visitor is here to take part in Outburst Festival. It's been happening this weekend. We're actually recording this on Friday, the 18th of November, the night after the Northern Irish premiere of the documentary film Kiki and uh, one of its subjects and uh, one of the people behind the film is joining us tonight. It's Twiggy. Twiggy, hiya. Nice to meet you. Hi. How's it going? How's Belfast? It's great for the second time. So you actually, it just came across in the movie as well that Mm -hmm. your first time leaving the United States of America was to visit our wee country. I mean, it's been great. Uh, We met Claire three years ago, maybe. Um, right, three-ish. We met on the internet. Yeah, on, on the internet, yeah, exactly. Like on Plenty of Fish or something? <laughs> yeah. Or? Uh, we were on Plenty of Fish and Tinder <laughs> at the same time. We were like, who's this? Um, <laughs> okay, no profanity yet. Oh, that's going to be so difficult. Okay, so hard. That's going to make this much shorter. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we met Claire online, and she's always been an avid supporter. Back then, the film was actually working... The work in progress title was gesture, um, and and so like last year when when we collaborated, we obviously wanted to bring Kiki, but it wasn't finished or, or ready to come. And so myself, Claire, Chichi Misrahi, Kimura Miyaki Muglier, um, put together House, um, which I, I believe you spoke about on this actual podcast. We did, yeah. yes. We talked about House, and House was about bringing news over and sharing uh, your sort of lifestyle and arts practice and the house ballroom scene, or actually the Kiki scene within the house ballroom scene in New York City. So maybe we could start off by bringing it sort of back to basics and explaining that for listeners who maybe missed the last episode and don't really know what that house scene is. Because maybe if I say house, people think of like house music. Right, yeah, And maybe if I say ballroom, they'll think of ballroom dancing, like Strictly Come Dancing. (laughs) Yeah, actually house in and of itself as a performance wasn't specifically about the Kiki scene and the way that that Kiki, the film, is about it. Um, It was really more so about the culture and and ontology of of the house and ballroom community, um, which is nearly a decade old. In the 20s and 30s, as black and brown people migrated from the South to the North in the U.S., um, uh, and more specifically in Harlem, um, black and brown queer folks, in response to homophobia and transphobia, um, 
created the Harlem drag ball circuit. They, you know, needed their own safe space to really live in their truth and be their true selves. And that started to to blow up and and they were and it became more performative and more pageant-like in, in context and tons of spectators that weren't necessarily black around queer people. Um, and so that spread all over the states over the next 20, no, even longer, maybe the next 30 to 40 years. In the 1960s, back in New York again, a particular member of the Harlem drag ball circuit, Crystal Labasia, 1967 to be exact, um, competed in a pageant um, and felt like she should have won and that she wrongfully lost due to colorism and racism within the Harlem drag ball circuit, right? So you have this community, the Harlem drag ball circuit and scene that was created for and by black and brown people that was now being... um, taken over by white people um, and even white cis people um, and uh, white cis hetero people. Um, <laughs> and and now uh, those folks are my people really finding themselves having to create yet again another safe space for themselves. And so those around Crystal, you know, members of, of her family at the time, the LaBeja family, um, decided to, to branch off and start something new and create something all on their own, which was definitely uh, representative of the Harlem drag ball circuit, but differently structured, right? And so the house and ballroom scene was born. And one, it's called house and ballroom for a number of reasons, but named after fashion houses. But more importantly, houses have the name houses because they're organizations that take on the, a, a very familiar structure. So when you think about the leadership of these organizations, the leaders are called the parents, so the mother and father. The members are called the children. Um, and back then, yes, they it oftentimes did actually live in a physical house together. Not so much now. Um, but it was really more about the familiar structure. Ballroom, because these are the places that the organizations actually competed, right? So it went from these drag balls, which are more pageant-like, to competitions called balls, which have a a much wider array of categories. Um, And that's where you see the birth of Vogue come about a decade later in the 80s. Yes, Vogue is one of the, I guess, the signposts that mm-hmm. pop culture's really picked up on. Mm-hmm. And I guess also kind of like controversial because Madonna brought voguing as a sort of a dance form, form of movement to like a mainstream kind of a form of appropriation mm-hmm. of, of, of an art form that was really like underground and really belonged to this sort of subset of different communities. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, she definitely brought it to mainstream. Um, in a way that hadn't necessarily happened before. There's actually tons of other people like Queen Latifah who had already bought it to mainstream quite a while before her. Um, And folks just don't either know or recognize that. So I'd like to call that into this space. Um, And um, and really, I think a large part, well, for me, I like to speak in I statements. I think a large part of it is that um, there's one thing to like expose the world to this underground you know, very sacred space. Um, And there's another thing to be intentional about the history of it and the legacy of it and making sure that folks know that and not just the dance, right? Not just the performance and not presenting it in a way that all you know is the performance of it, right? Yeah. It's sort of like a a thin layer you're getting when Mm -hmm. you see that video Mm -hmm. and that's all you can really get left with, right? Right. And then you have no idea of like 
why, what, how. You just know, oh, I see Vogue. It's cute. I want to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, so much deeper than that. And uh, I guess another signpost for people who are then not from New York, maybe like in Belfast and don't really have have that like physical connection to a place, maybe pick up the film Paris is Burning. that sort of documents a certain time in New York, I think like around the 80s. and Late 80s, it, yeah. yeah. It like was released, was it released in 1990? 91. It focuses on like a couple of key characters. It's sort of that classic uh, documentary style of that time, sort of mm-hmm. like Hoop Dreams, where it follows like a couple of certain protagonists yeah, and tells totally. their story and really hits home on certain like, you know, joyous moments mm-hmm. and also really sad moments. Mm-hmm. What does that film sort of say to you as someone, like a generation on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really important film. It's um, definitely uh, portrays a really important time period for the house and barroom community. Um, The 80s is very difficult, um, particularly due to the impact of HIV and AIDS on our community and how many folks are dying quite outrageously rapidly um, during the time period. Um, And I think that the film, like, quite blatantly... Uh, highlights that kind of tragedy um, and and there's so much hope and resilience which it also does speak to um, my ultimate feeling after watching this like oh like what happened to them like are they yes. around does this still exist and in many cases we find that like folks like actually think that was it right they thought after Paris is burning there was no ballroom because that's in many ways, how it leads you, a lot of people in the States don't know that it's actually still a community that still exists and has always thought, thrived and actually become way bigger since then. Um, and the, the dreams of folks like Octavia have come true, right? Um, I think about my mother, uh, Tyra Allure Ross in the House of Milan now, who is currently on a show on TV, Strut, um, about an all-trans modeling agency in L.A., right? Like, this was Octavia's dream. Um, when I think about people like Tracy uh, Norman Africa, who's still alive and well, um, and who lost her contract from Clear All because she was outed about her trans experience and who she is, has now been pretty much made an, an icon from by Clearall because they issued an apology and now she's one of their spokesmodels again all these years later, right? So um, I think that great film um, provides a historical context um, and, and, and speaks to the community in very layman's terms that, that people can easy, easily digest. So it's very good in that way. And, um, and it just, in my opinion, has very tragic kind of tone um, to it and 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 also you know there's a uh, other things that folks in the community have issues about that don't really want to go into now yes uh so yeah paris is burning definitely worth a watch if yeah. you don't know anything about the community or like mm-hmm. the art form um but yeah there is that sense of despair at the end and it mm-hmm. kind of closes mm-hmm. on those two young teenagers mm-hmm. who are so young and they're out at like 3 and 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. And it, they, they sort of like say to camera like that they, they provide the positive message at the end, like about like freedom and choice. But earlier on, they've been talking about they don't really have like a home to go to. And I think that was really, for me, 
quote the quite disheartening thing that it sort of painted um all these people who like you know had no choice or had no freedom um but they found community amongst themselves but it was also like painting a picture of like uh you know shoplifting to uh get your costumes and mm-hmm. all this thing and sort of like a, nearly like a, an idea of criminality around the thing so mm-hmm. let's flash forward a couple of years and now you've made Kiki which isn't like a follow-up to Paris is Burning I don't want to make it like it's a sequel but it's about a specific um it's a new community called the Kiki, the Kiki scene uh which you're central to so tell me I wouldn't bit. say that um I'm a part <laughs> of it and I definitely am a gatekeeper of it central to now the young people who keep it going are are the central part of it what was the inspiration or that inciting moment that sort of made this film come to life? Well, my best friend who's in the film, Chi Chi, who anyone who sees it, you'll know and meet <laughs> Chi Chi. I mean, Chi Chi also uh, was a part of House last year here in Belfast. We were like, oh, well, there's only been like kind of one film like since Paris is Burning that focuses on the scene, um, like feature-length film at least. And that's How Do I Look? And then we're like, mm, meh. What would it look like for people who are part of the community to create some sort of video project about it? And we didn't know whether that would be a feature film or a short or a documentary or a web series or what it would be. But we were like, we should do something. Maybe six, nine months, maybe even a year, because it was quite a while that we were talking about it. Um, we were at work and Sarah Giordano, who's the the film's director, um, Swedish American woman who well born in Sweden, like moved to to America later on for college and and, and the like. You can look her up, my dear sister. <laughs> um, and 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 so Sarah came to our jobs. Chris Chichi and I worked together at this place that's called Faces New York in Harlem, um, and was working on a totally different project. And our director, when I in the sense of like our boss, our program director, was like, you know. Um, there's this person, she's doing this project here. She's a visual artist, she's a filmmaker. Maybe that thing y'all have been talking about for a while, you could talk to her about. Um, and so we did, and we just really actually hit it off quite quite well right away. And we met and met for hours and for hours and, and for months, it turned, or a few months it turned into, and then we were just like, we're doing this, we're making a film together. Um, and it was very essential early on for us to like recognize you know, Tara is the director and, and and did an amazing job. And it was very essential for me to come on as a collaborator and to co-write the film with her, which isn't a very common practice in documentary, right? There's this kind of outside perspective, um, which is works in some cases. And also I think it's very fruitful and beneficial to to think of documentary differently now. It's 2016, mm-hmm. about to be 2017. Yeah. How do we do things differently? Um, what do ethics look like when they grow and evolve? Um, and what does it really mean to be inclusive of a population that you're documentary in the creative process? Yeah, because you because you mentioned uh, like the, there was possibilities doing like a web series, and I'm thinking our sort of you know national broadcaster, the BBC, are looking at different ways to do documentary. And BBC Three, which was a big you know portion of their output, is all online now, and so you get these mini series. As maybe you get like interactive videos mm-hmm. or interactive apps mm-hmm. so so what made you in the end decide to go for maybe the classic form of a full-length feature yeah i think it that you know i don't think i know i'm sure that our community deserves it it doesn't deserve to be this short one-off thing it doesn't deserve um 
to be just a series, right? Like those things can come after this and probably will. Um, but in this moment, it was important to for it to be a feature. It was important that the energy and the time and the love that goes into creating a feature length film, particularly a documentary, we deserved it. We deserve it. Also, that that form or that medium is something that then you can send out to festivals mm-hmm. and get like yeah. a prominent stage at different festivals. And that's something you've been doing recently. And you're like yeah. you're going to London tomorrow. So yeah. t- tell me a little bit about this experience of suddenly being in the the thick of you know promoting a feature yeah. and touring that. So quite overwhelming and quite surreal. We uh, our world premiere of Kiki was at Sundance this year. Um, in January, and from then it's just been a whirlwind quite a bit. Um, we won um, at Berlin Alley, we um, won at Outfest, we won um, at Full Frame. Um, I mean, it's, it's just been countless awards and countless festivals. By the time the, t- the festival tour, festival run is done, we would have been in, I think, 70, 70 cities and five continents. Um, and so I don't know what to say about that. To well, be it's, completely it's astounding. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's yeah. sort of the thing like that elevates like an independently produced film mm-hmm. to then go on to like general theatrical release, which yeah. awesomely you are getting with Kiki. Yeah. Yeah. We have had theatrical release in Sweden already. Um, and we have theatrical release in the U S through our brilliant distributors, IFC, um, early next year. So February-ish, March-ish in the States will be at theaters. We'll get into sort of the, a bit deeper into the subjects explored in the film, but I'd like to sort of hand over to Claire to sort of get your perspective on why it's important to bring this to Belfast and how it sits in like a LGBT plus festival, like outburst. Just to maybe recap on, on my connection to Twiggy and how we came to know each other. Um, and, you know, we don't always want to, we've, we've talked about this already, where um, Paris is burning is certainly a, you know, it's it's the thing people relate to or, or know the most because it's the most like kind of mainstream like piece of work, okay, related to the ballroom scene. Um, so probably that was where it all started for me. Um and when I went to I went to live in New York three years ago for three months on a residency, and my intention had been to find out more beyond Paris's burning, because part of yes yeah, something that was very prominent was it seemed like this was really tragic, <laughs> and um, the positivity that you see in that film are of course people like trying to to express themselves in a way that they feel is their truth, but. Um, it seemed like it was only contained within this one tiny world and it was never possible to really be who you wanted to be and and fit in with the rest of the world. So when I came to New York, I wanted to find out more about it because I'd I'd seen the gesture at the time, now called Kiki, was being made. So that was how I, I, I just thought, uh, just from a purely like, in just a, a point of interest at that point, I wanted to find out what was happening at this point in time. So flash forward to... Last year, um, after a couple of years of discussions and work and meeting each other and meeting in New York, we were unable to screen the film at that point, but we thought, uh, basically from my um, dealings with Twiggy and Sarah Giordano, who made the film, I realized that there was so much more 
to the discussion. So we thought, why not still go ahead and start the discussion? So that's what we did last year with House. And it was a live performance in the Mac um, featuring Twiggy, Chi-Chi and Kimura. And they, um, they, we built a big runway and they, they performed in the sense that they presented themselves in the categories that they mostly associate themselves with in the ballroom. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, and there was such a great response because people had felt uh, the people who came were people who have sort of started to look for all this stuff on the internet and they had a real connection to it. So everyone, we had sold out and, um, and then we had a big discussion after. So everyone sat, the four of us sat on the stage and had a very candid, but deep conversation and what came out of it was the people who attended felt deeply moved by the um well by how honest about your lives you were and how fierce you were um but they felt very moved that there were three people sitting in front of them who really like uh you know a black (laughs) a black guy uh, a latino american guy and then um uh we have kimura who's like asian american so in a sense and then there's tomorrow, tomorrow's a trans woman. You were doing like two gay male presenting people on stage. Um, so really there seemed to be like um, marginalized groups, but they, they're finding their place and they're fiercely standing up for themselves and they are in the real world. So that's, um, I think that's for talking about the message. Um, I think that was the message that everyone who left house last year was like, okay, if I was afraid to be who I am, there's people who, you know, technically the odds are against them and they are, they're doing it. So yes, this is brilliant. And that's the conversation that was started last year. And I think when we then were bringing Kiki back to screen last night, all the people that came were people who had attended last year and were fair supporters of Twiggy and Chi Chi and Kimura. And, um, and I think then uh, there's people there who I, I know last year maybe weren't as comfortable with things that they were presenting themselves, but were just walking in last night happy so does that answer the question totally yeah. yeah I mean it's 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 really important and actually what I was expecting from the Kiki film was more about uh you know the actual competition the competitive element of the ballroom scene which does come across but there was so much more depth in terms of the activism and talking about problematic areas in people's lives uh, how people deal with things and the complex mental struggles that people go through when they're transitioning, for example. So really, the, like we, this came up in the Q&A after the film, was Gia Love, who's one of, I guess, the protagonists or one of the key subjects in the film. Around the start, you sort of meet her when she's like coming to terms, sort of. And it's a really, really awesomely edited sequence where it starts her talking to camera saying you know I kind of maybe identify as a man I'm not sure but I don't really identify as a woman properly and then suddenly the sound changes and it's the sound of that voice coming from the laptop and the image cuts to her watching herself from the past and now we see her properly transitioned into the woman that she's now really proud of and becomes, and she explains watching herself uh, and you get this sort of dual personality. Mm-hmm. And this came up in the conversation, in the Q and A after as well, is that that's maybe one of the most poignant and artistically presented 
ways of expressing that sort of continuum or spectrum of transitioning and also like sort of really simply just shows how how people change and evolve and grow and by the end of the film she's such a strong person a really educated person uh, who talks so eloquently about so many issues like maybe Twiggy you can talk a bit more about your relationship with her or why that was such a key moment in the film Sure. Yeah, Gia is my goddaughter, um, and I, oft, I always call Gia. Gia is the goddess and the master orator. Um, Gia has always been smart, as as you learn in the film. Gia is a debate champion, not only in New York City but in New York State, um, and is a masterful speaker um, and and very critically analytical in all things, in the way that she is and the way she shows up in the world. And I think that that simply just was reflected. In that moment, it was so powerful because she was just being Gia. Um, that's how she always is. Um, and we have the privilege and the pleasure of, of experiencing Gia on a regular basis. And, and the world has not yet. Um, well, not before now, at least. Um, and will only, depending on how Gia wants, uh, feels and, and wants to continue on in, in her work and what she contributes to the world, will only experience more of her. Well, that's a really nice way to put it, actually, that you're actually sharing her with the world. And what an amazing role model. And one of the scenes near the end of the film, um, I think it's from like a conference, is it? There's there's some scenes where she and a couple of other people in the community are on like a panel and there's a group discussion. Yeah. And uh, uh, someone says, someone sort of brings up the question of the validity of people's trans identity and that certain people become trans maybe for financial gain or different reasons maybe to do with sex work and she totally shoots them down because it's such a struggle to be trans and you have to face so much prejudice that no matter what your reason that's still like you know that should be something to be really proud of yeah it's a courageous decision to live in your truth um and and you said something i just have to go back to that because that because it wasn't my choice or the film's choice it was really gia's choice to share herself with the world so i just have to say that yeah um and and in that same breadth of choice right there there are folks who like don't have the privilege of choosing to live in their full truth because they could be in like physical, mental, emotional, spiritual danger. And then there's some folks that um, that even in in spite of all of those dangers and and uh, still choose to be themselves. And so I, I absolutely echo Gia's sentiment to be a trans person, um, particularly a, a trans person, and even more particularly a trans woman of color. It's courageous. Because the question you had asked me was, what do you think this message brings to Belfast? And I think more than ever, <laughs> um, something like, like seeing something like Kiki is, is a very inspirational film. I, can't, I think we would all agree the experience that we had last night collectively was we were all so moved. And it made us think, it made us think about a lot of, like the, the film um, how many? How many subjects really? Seven. seven. Okay, so for seven different people's, seven different people, and seven different stories, and each of those stories is told with complete honesty. I, th- I think anyone who went to see that last night would feel hope. Twiggy, you use the word word real, like to be true to yourself or find your realness, and realness is one of those words that you know, like you know, introduced to me through like things like Paris is burning. And I, I, I believe is like a key 
you know, key thing to get, you know, points on, right, when you're in the ball uh, and sort of, you know, just being sort of true to yourself. When In the film, it shows like a workshop or a rehearsal in within one of the houses and uh, the coach or maybe is it the mother is uh, training everyone on how to walk at the ball and for the newcomers, uh, the message is, you got to find your truth and be real to that. Well, realness is a category in the ballroom scene, which is totally different, kind of different. Um, and that refers to like one's passability, um, which in and of itself is problematic, but it refers to one's passability um, for um, folks who get in drag and trans folks, trans women particularly refers to like how passable you are as a uh, woman um, and and then um, butch queen realness refers to how how passable you are in conversation like how straight appearing you are um, and then trans man realness or butch realness or stud realness all refer to like how passable you are and how much you look like a person who was born male right so all of these are very problematic um and so that's that realness. Uh, what you're referring to really is more auth- like, you know, authenticity, authenticity and, and being true to oneself. Um, and I think that folks come into the ballroom. I know for me, come, came into the ballroom, and you find yourself and you figure out um, in what ways to, to show up in the world as your true self. Um, and, and, and despite the chops, which is the thing that happens, right? Like it, when you're competing and, and the judges are like, no, actually, tonight's not your night. Um, and, and through those sorts of things and through the grooming of, of house parents and through the uh, family experiences of fellowship and, and, and not just at balls, like outside of balls, you really like find yourself. Um, and and are through those experiences able to be real, right? To be true to who you are. There was a real element of support that came across in Kiki. Like I think something that gets big bandied about is you know like this like ideas of like uh, shade and reading. And I think the word shade was only used like one time in the whole film, and it was someone saying that I'm not being shady or this is not shade. Was that an attempt to sort of, you know, share a positivity through the film and sort of avoid that? Or is it just that in the Kiki scene, there isn't so much of that shade, which could be like associated with, you know, other elements of ballroom scenes? No, it definitely wasn't an attempt to like trying to make things like hyper positive in any way. Um, it's just that those words in particular have been commercialized. Um, and so it, there was no point of like constantly saying shade or constantly seeing shade or constantly talking about reading because you see it. It actually is in the film. People are shady. People do read. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and we don't have to say that, right? We don't have to call those things out as that because that's what they are. And what happens is that we have these people, TV programs, media um, using phrases and framework of ballroom and and generalizing those things and and, and they're losing their meaning. And so it was no need for us to say that it was happening because you see it, you see the shade, you see the reading, it happens, it's in there. We don't have to call it out. Well, speaking of that sort of commercialization and sort of the populist sort of what we get sort of fed as like the sort of watered down things and like RuPaul's Drag Race is one of like the big things that I guess we get on the TV in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have like opinions on that or so is it cherry picking certain aspects of the scene or the culture? 
Yeah, no comment on that show in particular. Um, however, there are uh, always appropriations of the ballroom scene, um, and and that it's not like directed at that show in particular, but just period. I can think of music, I can think of film, I can think of music videos, I can think of pretty much anything, plays, I can think of almost any kind of mainstream media person, program, show, movie, thing um, that makes references to ballroom and constantly appropriates it over and over and over without giving credit, um, one, to what and, and, and who and how it is, and two, to its history and its legacy, um, and, and three, just in this really violent way um, taking from a community um, part of what makes it great and just taking it as, as one's own or, um, and it's just, it's just a, it's just a problem, such a big problem. Yeah. And then you get sort of stereotyped ideas about what sort of certain sections of society are like. And, Zariah, one of the main characters in the film, who's actually used in outbursts publicity materials for the film and is so beautiful, supermodel looks. Mm -hmm. And she's transitioning in the film and at one stage mentions this sensation she gets or this feeling that she gets that whenever she sees a passerby or someone looks at her, she gets this feeling of someone's trying to get into them or they're getting into her. And what she means is that they're trying to work out her tr- gender or what they think is her gender or her true gender or whatever their conception of those binaries are. I guess that was the first time I'd really seen someone like talking about that candidly. And we get to see her, you know, open up about, you know, her medicine and hormones and things like that. What was that like to sort of edit that together and make sure that that was like really true to her story? I mean, I think the key in all of, and, and not to like take the attention away from Zariah, but really focusing in on, on her and, and all of the seven kind of highlighted um, personas and, and, and people in the film is, is that differently, and, and I kind of go back to a point I made earlier, is that differently than the usual and typical documentary process, it was very intentional and, and nothing in the film about Zariah didn't go without Zariah seeing it and saying, I'm okay with this being in the film. Um, and so putting that together is, really looks like piecing together what you think is right and then going to Zariah like, is this right? Um, and and Which is vastly different than the usual documentary process, right? Yeah, I mean, that's something I think I thought about a lot when I was watching the documentary. It was um, it, it seemed very, very intentional in how it was, but, but led by those people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, probably why the documentary um, makes such an impact because it's very real mm-hmm. and that's really beautiful and it does seem like a very rare thing to happen as well. As opposed to sort of this documentarian who's like a, you know, the idea of a social anthropologist who, you know, is parachuted into a situation and then, you know, keeps the camera on all the time and just hopes for the best and that people open up. I guess because you're there and you're on the ground in the production of it as well, that people will open up more and then they know that they have the ownership and they have the, you know, the veto over what gets put in in the edit. Maybe one of the more particularly touching moments that you're involved in the film is when you go home to Virginia mm-hmm. and uh, we meet your mother who explains her sort of feelings and how they changed when you came out and told her about your lifestyle. and. I just wanted to ask what you thought, because obviously the 
the ballroom scene in New York is a really safe space for use and there's a lot of activism and it's very central to that location, that geographical location. How, do, does your activism, because you, you visit Washington and you're involved in like, you know, important groups on this subject and uh, these problems, does that reach into these sort of communities where there's there's less LGBTQ plus people another character in the film goes home and they say there's like no gay people here and I wouldn't feel comfortable uh, dancing here or voguing here. I'm just wondering on the ground in those smaller communities, how do people who are maybe having questions about themselves or maybe thinking about transitioning or do they have to go to New York? What's the help for them? Because I think Belfast is like, although Belfast is a city, it's still quite small and we're still, you know, trying to progress. Yeah. Um, well, actually, the person you're talking about, Devo, lives in New York, and that particular clip is in a part of uh, of Queens, um, oddly enough, right? So, like, even in big cities, folks feel that way, right? Um, so that tells you a lot. Um, part of the answer is yes. Folks do migrate to larger cities from more rural areas, particularly in the States, because they don't they either don't feel like there's other people around them or they don't feel connected to those people. One of the blessings of social media and the internet is being able to connect with people in that way um, if you can't or don't know how to necessarily do that on the ground. Um, as far as my work in activism and community organizing and, and, and the like, um, I started volunteering at an HIV and AIDS service organization way back in Virginia. Um, my first boy, one of my first boyfriends uh, is HIV positive. And, um, and all the things that he taught me about his experience influenced me to want to like, want to know more and want to learn more and want to do something about it. Um, and, and so I had more vague experiences back at home and like the kind of like activism and community organizing work in that way. Um, and, and that, Definitely, and you know, increased substantially when I moved to New York and met the person who's my gay father now, Michael Robertson Milan, um, who was executive director of People of Color in Crisis, a nonprofit uh, NGO in in Brooklyn at the time. It's not open anymore, um, but anyway, that's beyond the point. That's one of the the folks who like really got me in this work. And now at True Colors, at the True Colors Fund, we partner with the United States Department of Agri Agriculture, the USDA, and the National Center for Lesbian Rights and CLR um, on a series called the LGBT Rural Pride Series. And so we're very intentional. Um, the whole point of it is to go into rural communities around the country and have one day summits on LGBTQ issues. Um, and so. That's what we're doing right now um, with this new administration, which, God, please don't ask me a bunch about that because it's too traumatizing and I don't feel like it. Um, but uh, so we're doing that work um, now. Um, don't know how long that work will continue, given our current political climate in the States. Um, but that's been going on for two or three, three, three years. Um, and so and, and we're not the only folks like, you know, doing that intentional work. Right. So. Well, I feel like it's something that like the film helps with, you know, and the film will go on general release and maybe there are a couple of people who see it and that just opens up a whole world for them. It's really educational film and maybe will, you know, open some minds, change some minds. But also once that sort of thing goes online, it just sort of like spreads and even the trailer, you know, that that's a great way for outreach to, I guess, you know, you, you say like online is important and, you know, we're getting in in Belfast. So I guess that's part of it too. So yeah, the film 
touches on sexual health, mental health, homelessness, sex work and escapism and finding your your truth. One of the main things that I guess going into the film, you know, it's about house ballroom scene and you know, that's all about pageantry and competition. So maybe like, can we like maybe finish up just like talking a little bit about that? And like, one of the things I find interesting is, you know, these like sort of movements that start with an element of competition, right? So like key to the whole culture and what is an amazingly complex artistic practice for a lot, lot of the competitors, like go out and source your materials, put them together in an amazing costume and you've got a crew of people who work on makeup and hair and things like that. But uh, there's a real competitive edge as well. Just like maybe explain to me how all those emotions could have burned together. Sure, yeah. I think that um, folks think about ballroom and they think about voguing and they focus so much on the aesthetic part of it. And, and that is such a big part of it. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, and in addition to the aesthetic I think that in many cases, people focus so much on that because they don't have the historical context, right? Um, and don't understand that. Um, and, and maybe like, because it's a, a specific, like Vogue in particular, is a specific form of dance that hasn't been socialized for many people and not just in the States worldwide to be a part of the academic conversation around dance and around art. More so art, less dance. So, and, and let me break that down a little bit, unpack that a bit. So when you, when, you, when you go to university, right, and you major in dance, they teach you ballet or modern or jazz and all those things. And, and Vogue is not present in those conversations, right? And it should be because it's pretty old. Um, um, and so folks don't look at it through that lens. They look at it as only performance and, and, and only this thing that certain people do, right? And they don't really understand that in the same breadth as, as many other genres of dance, it is a cathartic expression in, in, a, in a place and uh, an act in which people heal and find themselves. Um, and so when you step out, and I say a bit of this in the film, but when you step out on the barroom floor, whether it's Vogue or Runway or Faith or Realness, it is you saying, this is me. This is who I am. Um, this is how I am choosing to show up um, right now in this moment. And whether you give me your tins or your chop, this is who I am, right? Um, and that's what it's about. See, I think that's kind of nearly hard for uh, me to get my head around because an element of competition always sort of seems to come hand in hand with f like a fear of rejection or mm -hmm. potential for rejection. And yeah, you totally. see people in the film who are, you know, told like, you're out. Mm -hmm. And their reaction is not pretty. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So that for me, like, seems like not a safe space yeah. in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's real. Chops are real. Rejection is real, right? And many, a lot of the competitive aspects of ballroom are reflective of experiences outside of this particular realm of competition. Um, and it actually fortifies those folks in a very um, introspective way. Right. A chop is real. People get rejected. So as you not getting the job you wanted, so as you not getting approved for the apartment that you wanted. And in many ways, ballroom prepares folks for these uh, these other situations. That's really poignant, actually. Yeah. Really. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Twiggy, it's been an absolute pleasure. And oh, Claire you. as Likewise. well. Thanks so much for setting this up and for bringing this amazing person over the Belfast. Well, thank you to you for interviewing us, John. And thank you, Twiggy for always uh, getting on board with me and um, it's great to have you here as well. Claire, are you going to have them back? 
Yes. You know, like last year, Twiggy and I and the other two, Chi Chi and Kimura, we all got a tattoo of the same thing together. It was a, a kind of take on the, the Irish clatter. So, the clatter ring, yeah. Which is symbolic of everlasting love and friendship. So, yes, <laughs> we're in this for life now. But yeah, we've got a lot of things I think we could see going forward, maybe in terms of our reach work that could definitely benefit people here in Northern Ireland where it's definitely needed and just some interest in more producing kind of things. So, yeah. The film Kiki uh, is doing the rounds at all of the independent film festivals and will be going on general theatrical release. So just give it a look up online, even if you just can catch the trailer and check it out. And, you know, we talked about Paris is Burning. Um, do a deep dive and, you know, find out a bit more about this scene. Yeah. Follow us on um, Instagram, Kiki underscore movie, Twitter, you could try Kiki Movie or Kiki underscore movie. And really, it's it, it's super easy. Hashtag Kiki Movie and you'll find a bunch of things all over the place. Um, and like our page on Facebook, which is Kiki, a documentary by Sarah Totino and Turkey Pucci Garcon. So find us on all the social media. Like us, follow us, do all the things, please. Oh, and KikiMovie.com is our website. And yes, you can also follow me at Simply Twiggy on Instagram and on Twitter and Twiggy Pucci Garcon on Facebook. Simply Twiggy. And you said the film has this really nice um, little repeated motif of introducing some of the characters with a still filmed portrait Mm -hmm. on their street or at the subway. Mm -hmm. And they're just looking into the camera and you're looking into the camera and you list all of the aspects of your personality that you're this and you're this and you're a mother and you're a sister and at the end, you say that most of all, you love. And I feel like the film, most of all, it loves and it creates that safe space. There was lots of cheering, laughter and, you know, sad sadness in mm-hmm. it. But I think everyone went away from it at Outburst Festival in Belfast with, you know, really inspired and educated. So thanks again for Claire for bringing it over. <laughs> Claire, would you like to give a wee shout out to your social media? Uh, I'm a really sporadic social media goer. I'm Venus Dupree at Twitter, but I don't use Twitter, so don't go there. Uh, best place to follow me is on Facebook is Claire Hall or Venus Dupree, which is my DJ alter ego. And I'm also on Instagram as Venus Dupree. But, you know, don't I, I just wouldn't expect too much from the Instagram. <laughs> Do you want to give a shout out to any uh, gigs you're DJing? Because you, you're playing some sweet music <laughs> oh, on yeah. the regular in Northern Ireland. Well, yeah, I mean, part of the thing that got me into finding out about the house ballroom community was because of my love of disco and house music, which is all related. So, um, yeah, I'm playing as a part of actually my collective with Marion Hawks. We've got a collective called Girl. We've got a gig coming up next Friday in Boombox, Friday the 25th. And um, it'll be just a really good night. I mean, it's a platform for us just to whack out as much good music as we can. But we're also playing at Shine on New Year's Eve as part of ABI Festival as team, they're teaming up with... Uh, with um, Shine and we're playing in the in the room with uh, Inside Moves and um, uh, yeah it's going to be brilliant like, so, so that's yes. my New Year's party sorted out and totally. Twiggy maybe your New Year's party because <laughs> you, you told me off, off mic earlier that the holidays that you, you actually you know observe are Black History Month and New Year's <laughs> yeah for us though um, like it's, it's really great that you've invited us onto the podcast because I think um as well, Kiki was shown in the a Queer Arts Festival, which is a really good position for it. But um, when it's on general theatrical release, I'm not sure about the UK release, but I think um, it's brilliant that 
it can reach out to more people. And certainly with this podcast, this is a wide reach across County Down. Yes. And if you've been listening, you could have been listening on Lisburn's 98 FM, or you might be listening on Bangor FM or FM 105 in Downpatrick. This has been the Geocase with me, John Darcy. And you know what? I'll do a social media plug to at underscore John Darcy on Instagram and Twitter. So let me know if you'd like, you know, if you have a special request for an artist or, you know, a community in Northern Ireland that you'd like me to cover and interview just give me a shout I'll be back next week with something interesting I can assure you um, but for now thanks to Twiggy and Claire Hall and good okay. night bye southern trees barren strange fruit blood on the leaves And blood at the roots Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze Strange fruit hanging From the poplar trees Pastoral scene of the gallant South. Them big bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolia. Clean and fresh Then the sudden smell Of burning flesh Here is a fruit For the crows to pluck For the rain to gather For the wind to suck For the sun to rot Cry.